0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Braun Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm so excited that you're joining us today. Today I'm joined by Shane Dowd, and Shane and I are going to be discussing femoral acetabular impingement syndrome. Now Shane is a strength coach and massage therapist and corrective exercise specialist, and he himself suffered from FAI in addition to a labrum pathology in his hip, and he was told from a young age that, you know, he's going to need surgery to get that corrected, but Shane was able to manage his symptoms and actually improve his overall function through a combination of unique exercises and other interventions, which we're going to be discussing today on this episode. So I know you guys are going to love this episode and be sure to check out our Instagram as well as Shane's Instagram and the FAI fix for more. Enjoy the show. Shane, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to be working with you today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So for
0: people who might not be familiar with you or the FAI Fix or any of the amazing things that you and your team are doing, would you mind filling them in a little bit about who you are?
1: Sure. My name is Shane Dowd. I'm a strength and conditioning coach, corrective exercise specialist, uh, massage therapist, and flexibility and mobility teacher. And you mentioned the website, the FAI Fix. That's um, one of my specialty programs, which is most near and dear to my heart. It's about hip impingement. So people can have all kinds of hip pain, but there's this specific type of hip pain that is, in in layman's terms, called hip impingement, and in technical terms, femoral acetabular impingement, something that I had, something that I was told I was going to need surgery for in my 20s, and then through a lot of trial and error, study and practice, spending a bunch of money, I came out of it without surgery, fixed my hips without surgery, created the FAIFIX.com with my business partner and friend, Matt Shu. and so now we I help people broadly with fixing pain and getting flexible. um, But I also help people very specifically with hip impingement. So that's what that website is about.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And it sounds like your own kind of past experience in hip pain and, you know, being told you need surgery in your 20s ultimately led to the creation and formation of this.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was like, You know, I got an X-ray and an MRI and the doctors were telling me like, it's not looking good for you, buddy. Like, don't, don't be dumb. Get it, get surgery now young so that it doesn't get worse. That was over 14 years ago and it hasn't gotten worse. In fact, it's gotten a lot better. If you've seen any of my YouTube videos, you can tell that, you know, I have, I can do the splits. I'm reasonably strong. I can run, play sports, do anything without any pain or movement problems. So the whole theory that if you have FAI, if you have hip impingement, it's inevitably gonna lead to a whole range of problems and there's nothing you can do but shave the bones, Um, fell short in my case. And then now that I've been helping people for the past seven years, that's definitely not the case for a lot of people. Surgery is not the only option for hip impingement.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, for you, what was your own experience like? I'm curious, what led you to the doctor in the first place, even Shane, you know, were you having pain or were you getting kind of that stereotypical pinchy type sensation or what led you down that rabbit hole? Yeah,
1: well, what's interesting for me is, you know, there's. there's a saying in physical therapy or in the strength and conditioning kind of like communities. It's, I guess it's a a model, the joint by joint approach to training popularized by Mike Boyle and Greg Cook and those guys. And basically it points out that if one of your joints say the hip is not moving as much as it should or could, it's often another joint above or below that's going to compensate and move more than it should. So in my case, my hip was not moving as much as it should or could. And my back started moving more than it could. So when I was doing Olympic weightlifting, snatching, cleaning, squatting, deadlifting, I'd be compensating on a subtle level that I never noticed up until around 2011. And my back was the thing that kept getting injured. I kept getting these reoccurring SI joint low back injuries. And it started to get so bad where, like, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't, um, you know, sit in child's pose in yoga. I couldn't do an overhead squat with an empty barbell without re injuring my back. So for me, it wasn't the classic sort of like, um, front hip pinch. Although you know, in my entire journey, there's also been groin pain and hip pinch and hip pain. But the the first thing that happened was recurrent, reoccurring back injuries that led me to seek out. You know, getting the X-rays and the MRIs and the doctors, and they confirmed, yeah, you have a labral tear, you have subchondral cysts, you've got a cam deformity, weirdly shaped bone, and um, and so yeah, that's the the, the reoccurring back pain is what actually led me to seek out what's the cause of that?
0: Right. And that's not an abnormal thing. I think a lot of people are walking around with back pain. And I think a lot of people are always looking for the cause of that. And I love how you brought in the regional interdependence approach of, you know, essentially the body is a kinetic chain and movement deficits in one area can really cause deficits or deficiencies or pain or, you know, whatever term you want to throw at it in other areas as well, right? Like I've seen individuals who really pronate their feet a lot and they actually come to me with hip pain. Now, is that correlated? Is it a causation effect? It depends on, you know, your treatment and how effective it is, I would say. Um, But certainly interesting to note the movement patterns that people present with. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that you had cam impingement and, I believe the other type is called pincer impingement, and the cam is essentially when the ball end of the femur, so the head of the femur, is not rounded. Um, So when you have a round head of the femur moving in a um, round socket, things work well, but if it's not round and uh, the socket's not perfectly rounded, then you kind of run into issues. Um, I kind of think of like a like a little kid sitting there with like uh, blocks in the holes and he's trying to put the wrong block in the wrong hole. It just doesn't work right, if that makes sense. And then the the pincer impingement would be um, where the head of the femur is kind of pinched on, I'll say, or encroached on by the acetabulum, which is the top of the pelvis or the top of the socket that kind of sits over top of the head of the femur there. And both can cause issues for people, but um, as you mentioned, it, it's not necessarily something that needs surgery. Um, you know, the the bone itself doesn't necessarily need to be shaved in
1: every case, I would say. Yeah, exactly. And there's, there's a lot of scientific studies now that kind of prove that, that if you have bad bone shapes, it doesn't automatically mean that you have big hip problems. There's plenty of people that on x-rays and MRIs, it shows cam, pincher morphology, mixed morphology, mixed impingement and they don't have any pain or movement problems and so it's not just like a one-to-one correlation of bad bones equals labrum tears and arthritis and problems and all kinds of stuff like that and so it's good for the average person to know that if they're told they have these bad bone shapes there's things that they can do non-surgically that are the low-hanging fruit movement training you know strength and conditioning Massa- massage, self massage, tissue work, myofascial release, stretching, motor control, all these are like the low hanging fruits that you should definitely try before you opt for something that's much more expensive, much more invasive. And yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, ultimately, once you get surgery, you can't really undo it. You can't go back. Um, but the nice thing about exercise is, you know, even if you beat yourself up a little bit and you're sore and achy, give it a couple days and you'll probably see that all subside. Um, And you mentioned an interesting point there as well about the intra-articular side of things, looking at the labrum, looking at the uh, overall cartilage in the hip joint, and how there's really not a strong correlation between impingement presence and, you know, cartilage defects or labrum pathology and that sort of thing. And, you know, I think it's essential to note as well that all the things that you mentioned previously there about range of motion and strength. I mean, that's kind of the fountain of youth combo there for a joint. If you want to keep it well-preserved and make some of the uh, naturally occurring structures last a long time, maintain range of motion, maintain the strength of the joint and all the muscles around it, Um, because if you don't, that's the kind of stuff that I could see kind of contributing to the early wear and tear more than just like a mild deformity.
1: Totally, and I'm so happy that you mentioned that, because it's that magic combination of the joint mobility and the control and the strength. And, and sometimes people have you know no joint mobility and, um, and they need to focus on regaining it with mobility exercises, stretching, deep targeted tissue work. Um, but there's also other people that do fall in the category of hypermobile joints with hip pain. And those people often will respond a lot more to stabilization and strengthening and motor control. And then there's people who need a little bit of both. Um, So, yeah, I think that's a, a key point.
0: Now, where that gets interesting is, you know, when you think about FAI or a labral pathology for that matter as well, typically, you know, when you flex the hip past a certain point, there's usually some type of sharp, pinchy feeling Uh, Usually starts in the hip joint, and it'll radiate into the groin in some individuals. Um, You know, I've had people tell me that they'll step and they get pain in their hip when it happens. Uh, They'll feel it when they're running. They just feel tight and stiff and achy. And most people, when that happens, I think they kind of look more at the rest and avoid activity because, well, it hurts. And based on what we've discussed so far, Shane, it sounds like resting is of the last thing we want to do to uh, manage this. What do you think?
1: Yeah, that's another really great point because, I mean, I think about the average person who has some kind of hip problem going on and they're going to go to their doctor and probably the advice that they're going to get more than any other piece of advice is just rest. Just take it easy. Don't do anything. But but that doesn't teach your body how to move better. If, there's, if your muscles are very dense and tight, um, it doesn't get them to kind of become more supple, supple and softer and which can, in my mind, be one of the things that most immediately takes away your pain. It's like some really deep targeted pinpoint tissue work supported by some strengthening, some reactivation or activation exercises, some some stretching. But um, yeah, I think the just rest approach um, is only really appropriate for the first short period of time after like an insult and injury. Where, yeah, you just want to like, just take it easy. Don't don't try to go squat the next day if you just like really pissed off and inflamed your hip. Like, yeah, take it easy. But very quickly thereafter, start to move gently and mindfully and start to teach your body, okay, this much range of motion is safe. Okay, now a little more, a little more. It's like, keep expanding um, what your body can do, how much load it can tolerate, the, the ranges of motion that it can tolerate. And don't baby yourself. Neither do you want to be a knucklehead and just jump right back into extreme exercise, nor do you want to baby yourself and do absolutely nothing for weeks and months on end.
0: Right, right. You have to kind of follow a phased progression back into things. And, you know, as you mentioned, it's okay to take a day or two off if you really flare things up, because if you're in a ton of pain, loading a already painful joint or painful motion is not going to help it by any means. Um, But again, you know, the importance of a progression it's okay to restart activity within a few days and start with simple stuff, right? Stretching or light exercise, or I'm a huge fan of isometric exercise for early on in the process. Like it's okay to kind of hit the reset button and take a week or two and build back up, you know, and that won't necessarily set you miles behind. I don't know. I don't care if you're a strength athlete or a performance-based athlete, something like track and field or soccer or whatever, taking you know, a week or two, especially in season when, you know, training load and load management is kind of an issue for most athletes already to kind of hit the reset button and say, look, you know, I'm starting to feel this. I'm just going to take a week, blow the whole thing up and get it feeling right again. Uh, Sometimes that can really save seasons for people um, and get you back into, you know, more of a long-term focus instead of just a short-term ache and pain put the fire out and then another one starts and then you put that one out. Like ultimately I think we have to break that perpetual cycle, I guess I'll
1: say. Exactly. Yeah. I, I kind of, I was explaining it to my wife recently cause she'll, she's like my workout buddy. And so we go to the gym and you know, we've been, you know, training together now for like a couple of years. And there's been a time or two where she like got a little tweak here, deadlifting and her back started to feel a little funky And her initial reaction was, should I just stop doing everything? And I'm like, well, let's rest for a day or two. And then let's give you some gradual exposure. Let's deadlift something really light and then something a little heavier and a little heavier. And it's like, I think the recovery goes faster if it's that slow, gradual progression, which just teaches your body like, you're safe, you're safe, you're safe, little by little.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, And, you know, I would say the other piece to this as well is going back to the hip, we don't always, like, I I guess I want to say the term structure doesn't always dictate function, right? And I know there's research to support this and that sort of thing as well. Like, um, just because something hurts does not mean that your functional deformity is a, or your structural deformity is a cause of it. So, uh, you know, in your wife's case, just because she had a little bit of aching or pain or that sort of thing when she was deadlifting, doesn't mean that she should immediately go turn around and get an MRI. Um, Mm. You know, imaging will show abnormalities on a variety of different people. Um, You know, I've never had an MRI of my own back or hip or anything like that, but I guarantee you I've got stuff going on. Um, You know, just the other day I was working with a patient in here, and uh, keep in mind this patient is a teenager, and the MRI conclusion for this individual was chronic degenerative changes they're they're in their teens like (laughs) how can you have chronic degenerative changes when you're literally still in like freshman year high school like yeah it makes no sense
1: that was a a rough upbringing then as a as a baby when you were getting all that degenerative disc disease
0: yeah seriously um but you know ultimately structure and function are not necessarily a direct correlation, right? You know, just because something's structurally wrong does not mean it's the cause of functional deficit, I guess you can say.
1: Yeah. And that's why I I like the saying, you are not your x-ray. You are not your MRI. It's like if if I was like I I have my x-rays and my MRIs and I've got scoliosis and the bad hip problems and the the you know, the cysts on the bones, like I'm a mess on an x-ray and an MRI. And yet I have no pain or movement problems. That's just uh you know example of one but i think um it's really important to keep beating the drum on that or keep giving that message out there because so many people will go to the doctor get an x-ray get an mri and it's always going to find something wrong it's always going to find something torn bursting at the seam coming out of like your bulging disc out of your spine and it's very easy when the doctor in the white lab coat is is saying like oh look at this you see what's going on here this is ooh And you can freak out and get scared. Um, So yeah, it's an important message.
0: Yeah, for sure. So walk me through your process and the FII fix there, if you don't mind, as far as, you know, how you went from the period of time where you were in pain, you were tight, you were limited in what you could do, and how you've progressed back to the point now where you can pretty much be physically limitless, for lack of a better way to put it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, so I kind of grew up. My, my first and earliest mentors and coaching experiences were my mentor was Carl Valley, who um, was coaching an Olympic track athlete named Hector Cotto. And so I was brought up as a classically trained kind of strength coach. And so when I started suffering these back problems um, and these hip problems, I started coming at it from kind of like the strength, co- like through the eyes of a strength guy. So I tried to strengthen things and that helped a little bit, but it didn't fully take me out of my pain. And so I was like, well, you know, I'm, I just moved to California. These Californians are all into this like hippie yoga stuff. I'm going to go try yoga, maybe stretching and flexibility is what I'm missing. So I, I I was, I did the strength coach stuff, added in the yoga and flexibility stuff, and that improved it a little bit more, but it wasn't until I found kind of like, what for me was the third piece of the puzzle. I found this guy named Phil Petachenko, who's a chiropractor, but he only does deep tissue Very like precise massage. Um, it's like if you, you know, you go to the average massage therapist and they're working on you kind of in a gentle way. Sometimes they go deep on one spot, but then they're kind of working on stuff for a while. With Phil, it was like you step into his office and for one hour to 90 minutes straight, he's on the bullseye of all of your problems and just patiently working it out, not at an intensity that's too much, but definitely not not an intensity that's too little. It's like you you have to start breathing and relaxing to kind of deal with the intensity. And so it was that third thing, the targeted tissue work, the precision massage that um, kind of combined with the uh, classic strength and conditioning and kind of physical therapy strengthening that I had learned, plus the yoga and stretching and mobility. And, you know, I found people like Kelly Starr at Mobility wad, all kinds of other like flexibility and mobility influences. And then the deep targeted tissue work from Phil and that combination, the massaging, the stretching, the strengthening kind of got me all the way out of my problems and in that process i went into a lot of chiropractors physical therapists massage therapists experts and everyone had their own philosophy but i found it was pretty rare to find any one person who included all three of those pillars like your typical generic kind of physical therapy often only gave me strengthen your glutes and stretch your hip flexors that that's going to fix everything um And then the yoga classes just just did stretching. They didn't include any kind of massage or strengthening. It was just stretching. And then, you know, my strength coaching influences were just like, oh, you're just weak. Just your back hurts, make your back stronger. And so putting that all together for myself was the magic sauce. And um, so, yeah, that's what made the biggest difference.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, at the end of the day, you're going to need more than a hot pack and a massage to actually get to the you know, underlying issues and correct them long-term. And I agree with your point that, you know, we typically see the best outcomes with combinations of treatments. And, um, you know, the more we can combine improving range of motion, quality and quantity, and I think that's a key thing there uh, with strength, the better off we're going to be. Too often I see people assessing, you know, an athlete or a patient or whoever, and they're watching the range of motion, And they automatically will assume that range of motion is bad because someone doesn't move in a certain manner. When in reality, a lot of people that I've worked with and, you know, evaluated have plenty of passive range. I can move them throughout, you know, an entire like hip rotation. Like I'll give you an example. There's someone I worked with this morning who's easily got 75 degrees of hip internal rotation range of motion. The problem is this individual doesn't have a whole lot of strength in hip internal rotation, and they don't really use their full available motion there. So just because someone has range in the sense of laxity and movement doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to use that. And as a result, I think that's where you start to see, and you know, this is my opinion at this point, that's where I think I start to see more of the, you know, muscular type pains, right? You know, hey, this feels tight or this feels achy is when you have a lot of passive range, but you don't have the stability to back it up, things are going to tighten up and guard up and kind of act in more of a protective manner because you have mobility without stability to match it. You have too much WD-40 and not enough duct tape for lack of a better way to put it.
1: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. That's great. I love that. That it it made me remember when that point first came home to me. I was doing. I did trades with a lot of people when I was coming out of my own hip and pinching problems. I was like, okay, I'll take you through a strength coach session. You take me through your yoga session, and we'll learn from each other. And I did a session with uh this kind of famous yoga teacher in um in San Diego, California, and. She was super flexible, like, you know, cold would, would sit on the ground, put her legs open in a straddle and fall straight forward into the pancake splits, like full splits, no warm up. And I said, cool, let's check out some, some basic strength movements. Can you, have you ever done an overhead squat? And so I gave her like a a kind of a light bar and had her try an overhead squat. And because she didn't have the stability and the motor control to control her pelvis and space and her ribs and, you know, her ribs were flaring up like crazy, putting her into a big anterior pelvic tilt. She couldn't even squat below parallel because she was like hyper mobile. She had plenty of hip and ankle mobility and shoulder mobility, to overhead squat, but the lack of ability to control it all, like you said, was the missing piece. And so, yeah, again, it's that combination of the right amounts of mobility and stability at every joint. Um, and in a variety of positions, that's, that's the key.
0: You mentioned uh, previously that you kind of wear many hats yourself from corrective exercise to strength coaching and so on that way. So how do you kind of look to progress someone through exercises for yourself there, you know? Is there like a good combination of strength training and range of motion that you look for, or is there an optimal time to stretch someone, you know, before activity or after activity, or how do you kind of put all of the pieces together when it comes to building a program for someone to address these deficits? Because, you know, as well as I do, um, you know, there's a lot of different terms and approaches to exercise out there. And, um, you know, one person will say they stretch as a warm up and someone else will say, no, 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 you can't do that. You have to stretch as a cool down. One person will say stretching isn't worth your while and so on that way. So how do you kind of approach things and put all the pieces together?
1: Uh, it's a complicated question because it's so individual. It's like if 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 someone walks in and they, you know, are super stiff and tight in every sense of the word, often, not always, but often this is a guy guys, you know, the guys that I've worked with as a general rule of thumb tend to be on the hypo mobile, not mobile enough side. And the women often are on the hyper mobile, but it can also be the opposite of that. But let's say that the, you know, the really stiff guy walks in, um, and he wants to, you know, feel good, not have any pain, have decent range of motion and, you know, build his body with a little bit of strength and conditioning. Um, if he can't even get in safe biomechanical positions for the strength training oh. um, I'm going to stretch that guy and I'm going to do some mobility work and I'm going to do some tissue work to prepare his joints for the lifting of the weights that we're about to do. Whereas, um, you know, and that goes counter to some people's advice of like never stretch before lifting weights. But I'm like, if we're doing it for a short period of time and it's combined with a thorough warm up, and this guy can't even get into safe positions unless we do this, then I'm going to do it a little bit with him or on the op- opposite end of the spectrum. You know, the, the yoga girl that I, that I mentioned, if she came in, we wouldn't do any stretching before or after with her because she, she already has tons of passive range of motion um, unless her goal was to like, I, I need to maintain that. And and it's important to me. Um, then, you know, we can include a little bit of flexibility and mobility in there, but that's just kind of an example of how individual it can be like for her to be, maybe to get rid of her joint pain, her hip pain or something, um, she might need to do heavy RDLs like Romanian deadlifts and deadlifts and, and, you know, real progressive overload strength training might help her with her hip problems, maybe not more hip flexor stretches and pigeon pose.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. I like the way that you brought that up. And, you know, how often do coaches, providers, whatever you want to call it, Uh, assume things about their patients before they've even assessed them and evaluated them, right? You've mentioned the hip flexors, you've mentioned stretching a few different times. How often do we just stretch the hip flexors and just, you know, assume that they're tight? And how often do we assume that the tightness is due to, oh, you know, they just sit down a lot or something like that? Um, You know, we almost never look at the strength of the hip flexors. And a lot of times, at least in my own experience, I see a lot of people who have weak and tight hip flexors. So it's yeah. like, you know, again, just doing one of the two is not necessarily going to address everything. Um, But on that note, you know, I kind of just mentioned postural considerations there. How does posture kind of play into the whole hip pathology role? I'll say, and is that something that you address in your programs? And how does posture kind of fit into everything?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Posture is a very broad term. We could be talking about your upper body posture. Usually when people say posture, they think about like, oh, he has good posture or he has bad posture. Um, But if we're talking about like hip pain and stuff like that, more where my mind goes to is um, the positioning of your pelvis. There are a lot of people who, you know, have the tight hip flexors, you know, tight quads. They've sat a lot. Maybe they're a little bit in excessive anterior pelvic tilt. I think anterior pelvic tilt has gotten a bad rap these days. It's true. Like if I literally position your pelvis anteriorly and ask you to bring your knee to your chest, you're going to have less range of motion than if it's in a neutral kind of position. And you can try this for yourself. Like, you know, if anyone's listening, lay on your back, arch your back and stick your butt out and try to bring your knee to your chest and you'll find uh, it it impinges quicker. (laughs) And so you can kind of use that basic principle to say, okay, one possible thing that I could do to uh, if, if I'm stuck in that position and if someone does, you know, kind of an assessment on you and you feel like you're just stuck in that position a lot, you feel like, um, you know, if you look at yourself from the side, you got kind of that like butt sticking out thing, then, yeah, you could work on your posture of your hips by potentially doing some tissue work on the quads and psoas and iliacus and, and even the QL quadratus lumborum muscles on the back and get yourself into a more neutralist position, and you should know you should be able to move in and out of all pelvic positions and control them. It's not like one is the best, but um, but if that person gets themselves out of a quote-unquote bad or less than ideal posture for hip impingement, then they'll probably start to find a little bit of relief for their hip impingement or a little bit of extra range of motion that they didn't have before.
0: Yeah. Has it ever surprised you of you know assessing people and watching people move? how few people can actually control their pelvic rotation and pelvic movement, especially like left versus right pelvic rotation.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, I I remember um, a football player. um, This is actually when I was sort of like studying with the best physical therapists and chiropractors and like healers that I could find. And there was this like really high level D1, I think, football player who was trying to make it to the NFL my mentor, Carl, who I mentioned earlier, was doing some specialized training with him, trying to get him ready for the combine. And we took him to the physical therapist and the physical therapist was trying to see if he could control his own pelvic motion. And he was like a stuck block. Like he literally could not figure out how to tip his pelvis in any which way. um, Cause he had just done years and years of like hardcore football training, could squat and deadlift a ton, but was having back problems. And and he Couldn't control his pelvis at all. So, yeah, teaching that motor control um, is helpful as well.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you brought up a great point there in that example with the football player, Shane, is, you know, it sounds like he's an individual who had years and years and years of highly specialized training for football. And there's nothing wrong with that. It sounds like it made him an amazing football player. However, you also need to make sure you don't neglect the general physical preparation or the general movement while in that process. You know, if I spent every single day deadlifting, I'd get great at the deadlift motion. But if I did uh, deadlifts every single day for years on end, and then all of a sudden I decided, you know what? Today, instead of deadlifting, I'm going to squat. My squat would probably look more like a deadlift than a squat. Um, So I think it's important to, you know, Chase those highly specialized things to a certain extent, but also make sure you don't neglect the basic functional movement patterns or you know fundamental movement systems you could call it um while doing that because you can really lose a lot and you could even lose a lot in the way of progress and performance, uh, not to mention, you know, as you're doing that um by neglecting some of the basic simple things I would say,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and I think that the tricky part for the average person is, those basic movements, or we could say like m- learning this subtle kind of refined motor control of your pelvis or in the upper body, you know, subtle refined movements of your your scapula and your arm. And all of that stuff is not quite as fun and sexy as squatting and deadlifting heavy and like crushing it in the gym. So to get the average person to do it, um, that's the challenge that all of us strength coaches and physical therapists have to do. How do we make mobility training and motor control sexy? And how do we get people to integrate it into their life and their training without making it feel like, oh, one more thing that I have to do that I, in the beginning, can't see how this correlates to what I care about most, which is performance on the field or lifting more weights or going faster or whatever.
0: Yeah, it's certainly a long-term buy-in and it's certainly more of a part of the process than the immediate gratification. Uh, I'm curious, you know, from your standpoint, how do you, um, you know, get people to realize the importance of just, in general, taking care of themselves in this manner? You know, how do you get them to recognize that, hey, some, you know, self-soft tissue work, a little bit of active mobility, and some strengthening is actually going to help me, you know, in the future? Is there any kind of like, uh, I don't want to say the term sales pitch, but is there any kind of like phrase that you use? Um, that really kind of gets people to recognize or realize the importance of what you're doing and why
1: I learned a long time ago that the old, like show them, don't tell them works a lot better. So if someone's coming in and they have pain, uh, if I can do something or some things really quickly that take away their pain. And I say, Hey, do this, you know, you got back pain, take this weird looking tool. It's called the body back buddy. It's this big blue S shaped stick hook it up to a band on a pole and then hook it into your QL, do some trigger point work on your QL for two, three, four minutes, stand up, move your background and tell me how you feel. And they're like, oh my God, like it just gone. Like I've done so much stretching, so much strengthening my core so my back pain will go away and just a little bit of really precise trigger point release work on the muscle that's overly spasmed or or dense or tight um, and they instantly feel better. I might've just got a convert. And so one thing is, is there something I can do to take their pain away quickly? And then two, to kind of help, help get by and help people want to continue mobility work in general is always, I try to connect it with what they care about most. So if they're a CrossFitter or someone who's like squatting, deadlifting, lunging, lifting weights in the gym, um, if I can make those gym movements be cleaner, deeper, smoother, more comfortable with a little bit of mobility work. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do the mobility work, but then we're going to go do the thing that you love, which is squatting. And if it feels better and you move better and deeper, and all of a sudden you can overhead squat better because you're more upright and not bent over like crazy because your hips and ankles are so tight. You're like, oh, like I can, I can overhead squat much more now because my mobility improved. And so those two things like taking, giving them something that takes away their pain quickly and making them do the test and the retest of like, we're going to test your squat before, do some mobility exercises, retest your squat afterwards, and you're going to see and feel in your body how it feels better. Those are probably the two most powerful things to get people to want to do this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I love those two examples, Shane. You know, ideally everyone uh, that I know that's in pain is searching for a solution to it. And if you can give them that in a short period of time, especially in a non-invasive, non-pharmaceutical way, uh, you know, people are going to love you for that. And, you know, that's not to demonize things like pharmaceuticals by any means, but they're not always the answer to every single problem. And sometimes there's other solutions uh, like we're just mentioning here. Um, And, you know, to your point as well, if you can improve performance by doing something simple, uh, then imagine what, you know, kind of performance gains you can make by kind of jumping into a full program to address a variety of different deficits and imagine how high you can soar if you're routinely addressing those things and improving yourself
1: totally very well said i I got nothing to add. That was perfect. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Shane, for people, you know, we've talked about the HIPS. Um, we've talked about different exercise considerations, but I know you've kind of got a whole program that kind of addresses everything that we've already discussed. So, you know, for people listening and maybe they want to check out that program a little bit, where can they find that at? Where they, where can they find you at?
1: Yeah, um, I have two websites. One is theFAIFIX.com which is all about FAI, hip impingement, femoral acetabular impingement. And then I have gotrom.com. ROM stands for range of motion, motion gotrangeofmotion.com, gotrom.com. And that's the even broader kind of brand where I have all of my fixed pain and injury programs, all of my flexibility programs. So if you want to, you know, if you want this sort of like what I call the TSR approach, tissue work stretching and re-education, or tissue work stretching and strengthening, this sort of combined approach, which we've mentioned is more effective than just the yoga stretching or just the strengthening or you know just one of those modalities. All of my programs are those type of programs. So I've got programs for neck pain and back pain and every pain you can imagine. and um, also flexibility programs ranging from beginner programs like touch your toes to advanced programs like do the splits. So, all of that is at gotrom.com. So, those are the two websites.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think, if I remember correctly, you've even got some like free resources over on your GotRom website. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Lot, I mean, tons of free ebooks, which also come along with free videos. And then on my YouTube channel, if you just search GotRom, um, there's like, I don't know, 300 some odd free length videos and tutorials. And of course, I'm on all the other social medias. So if you just search GotRom or Shane Dowd on Google or any social media, you'll, you'll find it.
0: Awesome. We can link to all of that in the description below as well. Shane, as we kind of start to wrap up here, is there any kind of closing thoughts or closing remarks you have or anything that we might have missed?
1: There's something that you said there towards the end, which is like we were talking about, you know, kind of doing the, the magic like um wave the magic wand and take someone's pain away thing, which is like the, the way to have them put one foot in the door of like having a mobility practice, a self-care practice, like something other than their, their gung-ho fitness routine. So it's like once they get that first foot in the door, I think I'll end by reiterating something you said, stating it in another way, which is like the the secret of your success is going to be found in your daily routine. It's not what you do occasionally that matters. It's what you do daily. And so, um, yeah, just, I would encourage everyone to, um, start a, uh, daily mobility routine. It could be 10 to 15 minutes, nothing crazy. It can fit into your current fitness routine. Like for example, I, um, will lift weights, you know, four or five days a week, and I'll just superset every strength exercise with a simple mobility exercise. So it doesn't actually end up taking more time. I would have just been sitting on my phone or you know, doing something, wasting my time in that one or two minute of rest, I could be doing something productive like mobility. So it doesn't have to be added or additional, but that daily consistency of some kind of mobility practice will um, do a lot for you.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, unfortunately, you're not going to go from, you know, super stiff, haven't stretched in years to doing a split overnight. Um, so if you chip away at it slowly and consistently over time, then you will eventually get there. But you know, don't expect immediate success here with these sort of things. Or um if you do want immediate success, I would imagine it would hurt quite a bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, don't don't try to get immediate splits. That's not good.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Shane, I really appreciate your time. I think this is an awesome episode. Uh thank you again for everything.
1: Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to
0: this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.